Al, you remember uh, one time on a trip to Romania? Uh, wasn't it Romania where I, uh, we were hit, went down to the subway and there was this big riot coming through? It was. And I, 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 I came up. I'm, I'm the leader. I'm the only one that's been there before. And so I come up out of the subway and I'm like, I'm fixing to turn around and tell y'all, hey, look, we got to go back. And I have to chase you. Y'all have already turned around and left me. And it was the fastest I've ever seen a leader become a follower. Just like that. Because we, you, quickly we all were getting out of there. And all of a sudden you look up. Carl Allison used to say, you're not a leader if no one is following you. <laughs> that was true that day. And, uh, but the things that came out of that and the times of being in that country, I mean, look, that was a crazy story. Right? <clears throat> And so this series, uh, talking about the parables and the crazy stories that are here and all the different people that are going to share them, it just kind of reminded me when the, when they told me the title of this is That's a Crazy Story. I thought, well, you know, we've, we've had a few crazy stories over our time in ministry. But I'll tell you what, I, I know of nobody better than telling a story than you. I mean, you are the best storyteller. I'm not saying you always get exactly right. Well... I, I say that I got a license to embellish uh, by going to the school of preaching, but I think the license to embellish came by being a robber. I think that was genetic. Yeah, I think that was genetic. Yeah. Uh, si says that uh, 95% of his stories are true, and the other 5% are there to make it spicy and interesting. And so I, I think that's, although I'm not sure the number gets quite yeah, right. Yeah. But yeah, we've always had an ability to, to spin a tale pretty good. But you know, it's, it's interesting because... You and I both began our ministry really through teaching, mm -hmm. and, uh, and it was just kind of our way. You know, we were mentored by teachers, and uh, really, long before we got into preaching, uh, teaching was our pathway oh, it was. And, uh, for yeah. both of us. You know, and you, you taught more kids than me, uh, even though I taught college kids, and you gave me an ability uh, and an opportunity to teach uh, some teenagers as well. But teaching was kind of our pathway in, and so... I think, you know, one, one exciting thing about when you read about Jesus' teaching, and, and we're going to be talking about parables, and obviously that's what this series is about. Teaching is an opportunity to get much more in-depth with people. And it's an opportunity to kind of carry into the next opportunity. And, and that's what I always loved about it. Because, you know, you could lead up to a place, and then you could come back and pick up where you left off. And uh, that's the beauty about teaching the Bible. You know, you're not, a sermon... You know, you got to pack that thing in. You got to finish that thing off, and and we, we got to come to a conclusion, and we got to get to some place of impact. But uh, you know, a class and a Bible study, uh, an opportunity like that, a small group mm -hmm. uh, where you're teaching the text is is an opportunity you can pick up. You know, where you left off last time. You know, uh, I read a book one time. Dub Deloach made me read a book called The Seven Laws of Teaching, uh, and it was so good. But one uh, one of the, of course, very things you should do, and we should do is examine Jesus' way of teaching. And when and that's the brilliance of Jesus when you see the parables, those stories. I mean, most people kind of define that as like a, uh, earth, I think they used to say earthly uh, story with a heavenly meaning. Yeah. That, that really doesn't do it justice. Because right. it's really about the kingdom, a kingdom story with a kingdom action. Right. It's kingdom explanation with a kingdom action involved in it. Uh, and so, uh, in Matthew, uh, 13, uh, when you get all these parables together, like the sower and the seed and the, the weeds and all those, 
the disciples uh, asked him something in, in verse 10 that was kind of interesting to me. Uh, the disciples came to, to Jesus and asked him, why do you speak to the people in parables? I mean, what, what are you going this route for? You know, what's, why are you doing this method? He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. So parables always had the outside people and inside people. But, uh, I mean, I think a lot of that came from some of the Old Testament stuff, to be honest with you. And what what people don't realize is that, that a kingdom mindset has been around since as long as there's been a kingdom. And that's been since they were with the people of God. And so it's not just that there was the, the people of Israel, but the people of God had been around since there was God and people. You know, and it, this goes back to Adam and Eve and all the way forward. It's interesting. People don't really know this, but there were parables even in the Old Testament. Not a lot, but a few. Uh, there was, there was a, one of my favorites is in Judges. There was one there. And the, the guy was telling the parable about the olive trees, you know, appointing a, a king. And it was an interesting little story, but it was, a, it was actually a foreshadowing of what would happen when Israel would ask for a king. Yeah, so and, some of those parables were kind of prophetic. It was, right. And they were looking forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, another, one of the most famous one was, uh, from 2 Samuel 12, whenever Nathan, goes to David, who, of course, had had this affair with Bathsheba and had had her husband killed. And so he tells this parable because, you know, God is wanting to get to David's heart. And so there's no way to get to his heart because he had just walled it off. And so he tells them this parable about this man who had this, you know, one little lamb that he had raised up and took care of it. And, you know, it was the only possession he had. And so he tells this great parable to David. And David becomes so you know, enraptured by this wonderful parable. And so then at the end, he says, this rich man swoops in, and he's got this field full of sheep, but he takes this one man's lamb and sacrifices it. You know, when he had all these others he could take, and David is insist, this man should be punished, and he should pay back four times. He's like, you're the man. And then all of a sudden, you know, his heart is penetrated because he realizes what he's done to all of Israel. And so it was through this parable a kingdom message, you know, was delivered. And so even through the Old Testament, these kingdom messages were given. And so I think Jesus is just showing us again as he's come here now to deliver the kingdom of God, you know, which is what he's come here to do in the first century. And so that's exactly what you were talking about in his answer here is he's showing that the kingdom of heaven is near, meaning that I've come here and it's going to be established and now we're going to see what's going to happen. And so this is going to be available for all people. And so these are the kind of messages that are going to be around for people to grasp and to hear. Well, this is even what he said in the prayer. Thy kingdom come, yep. thy will be done on earth right. as it is in heaven. So that's kingdom activity, which if you want to call it heavenly activity, you should could. But kingdom activity uh, here and now yep. that point to the ultimate kingdom living with Jesus. And the Old Testament, the language he uses in some of these parables, I mean, it's directly from the Old Testament. So I think the Jewish kind of thought and history gets, uh, we might miss it a little bit because we don't really have that background, but they didn't miss it at all. Right. So when he uses the word vine and mm-hmm. vineyard, yep. they're thinking themselves, they're thinking Israel right off the bat. And when right. he uses the word sheep and shepherd, 
I mean, they get it. Yeah. You know, they've they've handled sheep and they've been around shepherds thousands of years. And so the parables always tend to have, it seems to me when I've looked at them, tend to have the kingdom aspect or the chosen people aspect of it, yeah. Israel or whoever's aiming at, uh, kingdom living, here's what it really looks like. Mm-hmm. You've misunderstood it type thing. And then always kind of has a judgment. Here's here's who's in and who's out. When you cast the net and you pull in, here's they separate them. Here's the ones in, here's the ones out. Yeah. Jesus goes, he goes to what the Pharisees think is everybody who's out, the lowest of the low, the tax collector, the sinners, the you know. Uh, and Jesus flips it up and says, no, they're, they're the ones that are in. You yeah. guys are on the outside. Right. <laughs> it kind of God does that with the uh, Good Samaritan. Yeah. You know, the guy comes along. I mean, the Samaritan. Who wants to be around a Samaritan, you know? Right. And yet, all of a sudden, Jesus said, well, here's who's really in, and here's who's, here's who's really out. Right. And here's the judgment that kind of comes with that. So. And he flips it because it looks like who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. You know, I mean, the, the normally the narrative will be the Samaritan's the guy you want to stay away from, right? I mean, he's he's mm-hmm. normally the bad guy in a story like that, but he's really the good guy. Yeah. He's, he's the guy who had the right heart, right? Mm-hmm. And so the other guys, who are the guys they would look like and say, oh, no, they're the guys everybody wants to be in, you know, in, in, in the story. But no, mm-hmm. they didn't have the heart, you know, which which again comes back to that. And I think the, the key to parables were they were about people who had a seeking heart, which is why some people didn't understand them at all. Which I love in that idea about the parable of the sower is is the idea that the seed was, of course, the gospel, but the soil represented the hearts. And and some hearts, of course, were, were totally impervious to the gospel at all. They were so hard they wouldn't even accept it at all. I mean, the evil one just came in and snatched it right up, right? Others, you know, a little comes in, but not enough to have any roots set up at all. Others, of course, the cares of the world comes up. We're out. I mean, the first time I'm challenged, nothing at all. And so really out of those four hearts, only one was open enough to accept and receive and show exactly what could be done. And so I, you're right. I love the idea that there was only going to be a certain percentage of people that were even going to understand and want to seek and know more. You know, you, you've, you've done a lesson before. Um, out of John 8, which is always one of my favorites. And I don't know what took me there, but I was thinking of this idea about people that were willing to believe about the Bible class in John 8, you know, with the, with the, that started early in the morning. Oh, yeah, you know, in the temple courts. In the right. temple courts. Right. And, you know, the, the people are gathered there and they drag this woman in. And, of course, you know, she's been caught in the very act of adultery. And so, you know, they're wanting to stone, or actually wanting to trap Jesus. And so they pick up the stones, you know, and they're ready to do it. And they're like, what do you think, you know? And so Jesus, you know, begins writing. And he looks at it, he says, well, I tell you what, whoever is without sin, you, you start. And so then he starts writing again. And so after this awkward silence, of course, the older ones first begin to drop their rocks and they walk away. And, of course, nobody's left. And he says, well, where's your accuser? And she said, well, there's nobody left. You know, he mm-hmm. said, well, I'm not going to condemn you either. Go and leave your life of sin. And so it was really interesting because when you read the rest of that chapter, he gets into this back and forth with them, and it says some of them believed. Remember? And then he says, well, i tell you the truth. If you hold to my teachings, you can really be my disciples. 
And then he gets into this back and forth with a back and forth, back and forth. Now we're not, you know, we're not slaves of anyone, you know. And so they're back and forth. And at the end of the day, they all pick their rocks back up again. And they want to stone him. And I find that fascinating, which is why I think he taught in parables. Because they started the day with rocks in their hands to trap him and to kill this woman. And they go through a whole day where at one time it sounds like it's a pretty good idea. Well, maybe he is who he says he was. But by the end of the day, they're ready now to kill him. And it just goes to show you, if you don't have a heart for Jesus and the kingdom, you don't have a heart. And so even though you can go this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, you either believe or you don't believe. Mm. And so I really believe that's part of why he taught the way that he taught. You either you either have a heart for him and you're willing to accept him or you aren't. And it's really that sort of decision-making we talk about embracing the kingdom of God or not. Well, it's kind of like, uh, uh, you know how it is, if you preach a, a sermon that really like touches a bunch of people's hearts, the responses you get are always good-hearted people. Right. You know, it's good-hearted people that are touched, that, right. that are open, that want to make a change in their life. Uh, the hard-hearted people are just like, hey, look, uh, what's lunchtime? Let's get out of here. You know, can we sneak out before they baptize everybody? Uh, what time's they uh, open the sizzler? <laughs> right. You know? So, but that, I mean, so the sower, he shows the human reaction yeah. to kingdom message. Yeah. And, uh, and 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 so it's not he's not tricking anybody. Yeah. Uh, he just knows, and he's speaking in parables, and he says it's the secret of the kingdom. Well, uh, people who aren't in tune with the kingdom or aren't open to it aren't going to get it. Right. Uh, they are going to get frustrated and mad because there's going to be some condemning stuff come out. But right. Otherwise, uh, they're not really going to get what he wants them to get out of it. Exactly. Because uh, their hearts aren't right there. Right. But that's, I think that's the beauty of, of storytelling uh, with the principles that Jesus does it. But it's amazing to me the kind of teacher he is. Even in that story of John 8 when the woman got caught in adultery, the only one that could stone her by law, the first guy, had to be a guy that caught her. So once they were gone, the, Jesus couldn't uh, have her stoned anyway, yes. by law. Right. But also, the Romans wouldn't let the Jews kill anybody. So they were hoping Jesus would say do it, and then they get him. That, either way, they get him, and Jesus solves both problems. Exactly. It's the wisdom of his teaching. That's right. uh, and you see that wisdom carried over into the, into the parables. I mean, right. it's just amazing when you break down his teaching. You know, another thing I thought about, Mike, was that when when Jesus was teaching these parables in Matthew 13 that you mentioned, so here's here's two of the disciples, Peter and John, who are listening to these parables. And, you know, we assume because the, the disciples got to listen to all the parables, and then they got the inside information, too, because a lot of times, you know, he would tell them, okay, here's what this means, you know, and he would give them kind of the inside baseball of the parables. And, of course, we know the disciples, I mean, God bless them, even with the inside information, they were like, well, what? You know, because they still didn't get it always. You know, and, and I get it. You know, we, we kind of make fun of them, but, you know, they, they didn't always get the information. But when they would hear these things, you would wonder how they would apply them, you know. So then Jesus, Jesus dies and he's resurrected. 
and then he ascends. And then, of course, we know what happens. You know, man, the Holy Spirit comes in Acts 1, and all these great things happen. The church comes, and there's all this persecution, and then we go through the process. And now 20, 30 years goes by. There's a lot of persecution. And then you come along and you read books like First and Second Peter and First, Second, Third John. And so those same guys who, the, who were those kind of just trying to figure it out, listen to those parables for the first time, trying to understand. And then they go through all this stuff. And they get over here and they write these books right before they're about to be martyred. And then they, they write passages like this. Now you think about this in light of those parables about the sower. And then Peter writes something like this. For this very reason, Second Peter 1, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. So there's that, that seed of faith that goes out there that was way back there in that parable in Matthew 13. Add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly love and to brotherly love and kindness. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, now you see that that fruitful plant that grows. Mm. And so out of that, those parables of growth and fruit, now you're actually seeing that productivity as he's now explaining this to people as he's about to go. Okay, so you actually here. see the expanse exactly. of the lesson taught in the parable ends up being uh, expanded in the letters that these guys that heard the parables write. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The kingdom growing, fruit growing, people, knowledge. I mean, now he's imparting that same wisdom. And just like Jesus, who was standing at the precipice of eternity to go back to be at the right hand of the Father, Peter's doing the exact same thing. He's standing there about to be martyred, as history would say, crucified upside down, saying, I tell you what, you want to be like Christ? You have that same seed of faith, and here's what it's going to produce in you, boom. And he mm-hmm. lays out the same thing. That's the power of teaching. That's the power of the parables and what they do. Well, and that's why they're not just stories. That's right. Uh, the they are. Uh, they don't just tell a story. They're not just a preacher illustration, you know, right. or tricking an audience. They're actually, uh, the parable itself is inviting people into the kingdom. Yes. And then, and then creating kingdom activity in their life. And he's explaining that activity. And then you see the results of that activity as the kingdom grows. Exactly. Uh, through the, uh, through the disciples. This is exactly. Uh, so they, they don't merely talk about, uh, what's offered, the divine offer of mercy and grace. It's not just talked about. It's actually there for them. And then it's there to not only get that offer of grace, but then for it to be practiced in their life as they head on out living the kingdom lifestyle. Exactly. Which is powerful when you see how that happens. Same thing when he said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Then he goes on and he talks about how that they were to love each other as as God loves them. And then here's what John said in 1 John chapter 4. Again, just like Peter, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. And this way, love is made complete 
among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Again, fully perfection and maturity. Now you're seeing John is mentioning. And think about this. This little scared rabbit disciple who first looked back when Jesus was saying, look, I'm the vine. This is how it grows out in you. And his understanding of that. First being told, look, you've got to love these guys. Who he's competing with at first. Like, who's the greatest? Is it me and my brother? Is it Peter? Is it this guy? Is it that guy? Now he's talking about perfect love in Christ as he's nears the end of his own life. So that's the power of what kingdom living can do. And that's what Jesus is expressing through these parables. This is what he's trying to get them to see. This is what kingdom life looks like. If you can embrace it. And really, that's what discipleship looks like. Exactly. Because, and, and I missed this for a long time. Uh, you, you remember uh, when Jesus calls the disciples and they lay down their nets and uh, he says, you know, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Mm-hmm. So I was going back through that, and I was thinking about this thing on discipleship. Uh, following, that's the first thing. A learner, as a disciple, is a learner and a follower. And it's what what's, I forget the old saying about you follow close enough to where you get the dust of their sandal on your feet, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they're following. That's the discipleship beginning. But then he says, I will make. And I missed that for a long time. He's going to make them into something that they haven't been before. There's a transformation that takes place. That's what discipleship is. So they're following. Then Jesus does something. He makes them this. They don't make themselves. We try to make ourselves. But I'm I'm telling you, I've I've tried a long time to improve a few things. And I I, I haven't had a lot of luck at it. But Jesus makes them something they haven't been. And then he says, I will make, and then, fishers of men. That's the last half of the deal about reaching other people. Yeah. Well, when you take that verse, and then you go over to Matthew 28, that verse, uh, the fisher of men's verse is at the beginning of the ministry. Now, this is at the end. And he says, you're going to go to every ethnic group, all nations. You're going to make disciples. You're going to teach people, and you're going to make disciples. You're going to baptize them, and you're going to teach them to obey. That's right. action. Obey all these things, and one of those things was to turn around and make other disciples. So the beginning of calling them and the end of leaving them, the discipleship thing is there. And in the middle, you've got the parables That's right. that he uses to disciple them on how to live for the kingdom. Kingdom right. activity in your real life, and he does it with real life illustrations right around him. Uh, I love how he does that too. We use his water to well, or uses uh, the fish, he uses whatever is around That's right. that they're familiar with, and he takes that and in a parable, a story becomes a story of kingdom explanation followed by kingdom action. And I love the idea of like in Luke 15. The parable of the the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. Mm. The idea that the father will go to find that which is lost. Beautiful picture. 
and uh, it's interesting. So we had a, years ago we had the they approached us about doing the Duck Commander family cruise. And so they asked all our family to go get on a cruise ship with 3,000 fans. Well, I bet Phil was excited. Oh, man. And so they said, but look, here's the deal. (laughs) They want the whole family to go. And they were going to pay us quite a bit of money to go. Get on the boat with all these fans of Duck Dynasty. and But everybody had to go, including Phil. Well, everybody knew that Phil was never going to go on this cruise. Because he said a long time ago he would never step foot on a cruise ship. So who did they turn to? The Phil Whisperer. Yeah, that's right. So they come to they come to Ohio and they say, you got to convince Dad to go because the whole deal's off if Dad doesn't go. So I'm like, man, this is a tough one because he, he's never going to get on this cruise ship. So I go in. I said, Dad, they want us to go on this cruise. He said, oh, I heard about it, Al. He said, let me get this straight. we got 3,000 Duck Dynasty fans on the cruise ship, and you're telling me we're going to get on the boat. That's right, Dad. Getting on the boat. And there's no way to get off the boat. That's right, Dad. We're floating around in the ocean with everybody on the boat. That's right. I don't like the sound of that, Al. I said, well, let me frame it a different way, Dad. We're going to be out on that boat with 3,000 Duck Dynasty fans. And every morning, you're going to be able to preach the gospel on that boat. And those 3,000 people... They can't get off that boat. <laughs> and he looked at me, and he said, Now, I like the sound of that. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> and I've always thought about that parable because Dad was a man, was a fisherman, who was willing to go where people were that needed to hear the good news. Just so happened that we baptized about three or 400 people wow. that week on the Lido deck. And as far as I know, on a carnival cruise, nobody had ever been baptized before in a baptismal service, you know, on a, on a carnival cruise ship. And the point is, if you're willing to go and look, people are willing to be found. And that was the beauty of those parables in Luke 15. The father is always looking. You remember that, that boy was coming down that road, the father was looking for him. And ran to him. And ran to him. And so that's the beauty of stories like that and the way Jesus told him is that impresses on us of how powerful the kingdom living really yeah. is. So, You know, last summer I went I went and spoke in uh, Mississippi to a church and they were doing a series, a summer summer series on Wednesday nights. And uh, so uh, it was on the parables. Uh, so they asked me about when I could come in the first date. Uh, I mentioned why well, uh, old buddy across the river there, John Dobbs had already he had already picked that date and and uh, so I said well I'll go another date and then so I said which parable you know uh, and finally he said well uh, there's not many left. and I said look just give me the one nobody wants because I know that's what this has ended up looking like so he said okay so it was the parable of the net here in. Matthew 13. Mm-hmm. I, I want to read this, which kind of gives us an example of a parable. He said, Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it uh, up on the shore, and they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come, and separate the wicked from the righteous, and throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. Uh, and uh, so I said, in other words, you've given me the parable on hell. <laughs> Weeping and gnashing of teeth. He said, yeah, well, pretty much. And I thought, okay, give me that one. People don't talk about hell much anymore, but it's talked a lot about in the Bible. Let's just dive into that. But uh, as we, as I looked at the parable, I thought it had it had everything Jesus did in parables in it. It had people being a part of the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. uh, and and that and that they had been reached. It had uh, us not deciding who was in or out. That's right. He had some angels and other people to take care of that. Yep. Uh, and he had the judgment that comes. Uh, if you're out of the kingdom, here's the judgment. Yep. Here's what happens to you. Uh, it's the uh, the kingdom. I guess kingdom warning. Maybe maybe would that be the idea of the kingdom story, the the kingdom uh, action, the kingdom warning, uh, all wrapped up in that. And I thought, what? How brilliant <coughs> Jesus was! And this was the last parable in that kind of right. section of parables about seed and weeds and all that kind of stuff. Uh, that uh, kingdom business is serious business, mm-hmm. and. Uh, the kingdom life, it's for the down and out. But they're really going to be the ones in. That's right. But there really are going to be people out. That's right. Uh, and the, the, the kingdom demands uh, that there be judgment take place. Nobody really likes to talk about it. I, I praise God I don't make the judgment on people's lives. That's right. Because God will never mess up. That's right. Uh, but the, but the, the brilliance of Jesus' ability to teach through all these stories uh, still amazes me. And then I finally realized it's not just stories. It's actually kingdom activity that he's creating through his storytelling. Yep. And some of the simplest forms. I mean, who who hadn't heard of the prodigal son? Yeah. Or uh, the hearts and the sowing of the seed. Right. I mean, very simple stories, but they, they pack a punch. They do. I'm looking forward to this series. It's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Be some good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Some crazy stories. Uh, and and I'm telling you, our staff, uh, they're preparing, and I'm I'm excited to hear what our our staff comes up with on, on the parables. It's going to be very interesting mm-hmm. to hear their take on different things as they've studied. Uh, and so I think it's going to be a blessing uh, to you guys. It's going to be a, a blessing to our church. We'll be. We'll see how well we've trained them. Yeah, that's right.